Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, Sam Cox. I'm representative of Southampton, and you can find me on Twitter at Mr. Sam E. Cox. Hi, guys. I'm Jim. Uh, I'm the Leicester City fan for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. There is a lot to get through in the footballing world, so we'll just jump straight into it. I will start off uh, by talking about my beloved Tottenham, who, of course, decimated Manchester United today with a 6-1 win, obviously. A red card, an early penalty, loads of goals was sure to be the, the main headline today, but now Liverpool's currently losing as we record, so we'll touch on that in a second. But I just wanted to start off to talk about Tottenham a little bit, who played fantastically. I think Mourinho used just about every tactical tool in his belt to pull off the win. We were better even after the penalty. Um, I, there were some absolutely phenomenal performances. Um, Lamella was harrying everyone Kane was doing slide tackles in the opposing penalty area to win the ball back for goals. Regulon had just about the best Premier League debut I've seen from a Tottenham left back uh, since Danny Rose. (laughs) But anyway, I just wanted to talk about some of the positives because, unfortunately, the narrative, of course, immediately goes to what went wrong for Manchester United. Obviously, there's been all the talk about them needing new players, and obviously they have a lot of very expensive ones, but that they need more players to take the next step up is Solskjaer really the man to lead them forward. All of these things, but I just wanted to start off with this because it was such a shocking result to so many. What did you guys either make of the match or or what do you think of the standing of the two clubs following it? I think think what, as you said, I think there's been a lot of coverage of of how bad Manchester United were and the problems that they have on and off the field. But I think it's important to mention how good Spurs were on the field. Uh, Mourinho, of course, has come under a lot of criticism from his time at Manchester United and, and through spells at Spurs. But today we saw exactly what he wants from his side um, in North London. And I think the system of Kane dropping deep and, and Son running off him has worked perfectly, of course, from a Southampton point of view. We saw that work so well against us two weeks ago at St Mary's Stadium. Mm. And of course, again, it's, and it's repeated again today, um, away from home once again. And I think that system, again, as I said, works so well. But as you say, I think Regulon had such a good debut. Um, at left back, despite the penalty early early in the game, 30 seconds in, Spurs didn't look like they were going to concede. I know the red card helps with that. But I think they, as you said, the, the system that he played, and I won't use the expression here, but it's the one made famous by the documentary of Mourinho asking his team to change their mentality slightly. Mm. Um, and you saw that with Lamella today, um, and, it's, and it's paid off. Okay, that's the side of the game that perhaps you don't want to see. But if at least the three points and, and the way Spurs won the game, I don't think many Spurs fans are going to be complaining too much. 
Yeah, there was a are we the baddies moment for me uh, during that match. <laughs> <laughs> but Jim, what did you make of it? Yeah, I think it was United self-destructing, um, but Tottenham being there and being r- ruthless to capitalise. I mean, you've got to say, as good as Tottenham were, they were handed a, at least a couple of the goals, some of the defending the, particularly, I think it was the, the was it the first goal or the second goal where it was just head tennis in United's own area, mm. and you've got Harry Maguire and Eric Bailly, both very expensive, costly purchases at the respective times in the last couple of years, looking like they were just completely clueless. And I, I the problem I have with this narrative about oh, United need more players, they need to strengthen, like. They've been strengthening four years and they've been spending a lot of money for four years. At some point, they just have to hold their hands up and be like, yeah, we're not as good as we think we are or we we want to be. But I just don't understand how they think they're going to solve it by plugging and playing really, really expensive players with no seeming cohesion about what where they actually want to go. Like, I know Sam's obviously on and he can probably talk more about this and he, maybe even you can from a a Tottenham perspective, building a team and a squad and actually buying players that you feel fit your needs rather than just the next big name off the conveyor belt of overpriced um, English talent um, or Uruguayan out-of-contract talent, as they might well invest a significant <laughs> amount of wages in Edison Cavani in the next couple of days by the looks of it. But I just it just seems like they've flitted from manager to manager and it looks to me just like that coming home to roost a little bit now, like a... A lack of cohesion, a lack of organisation. And, you know, everyone knows that Manchester United and particularly Ed Woodward are the worst negotiators in football. Like, you, you as soon as you get a phone call and you know it's from Ed Woodward, you just, must just be rubbing your hands together in, as, as an opposing club because you just know that you can get an absolute fortune for an asset that's probably not worth that much. That's certainly what we did with Harry Maguire. Um, I, I'm sure it's what will happen with whoever they decide to go out and panic by tomorrow. Um, there was talk of James Madison. Um, being a, a target linked with them, I suppose that would probably be contingent on Sancho not working out. Um, and there's still a lot of work to do, I guess, if you want to sign a player from scratch, basically in 48 hours. But I just think that United's lack of joined up thinking um, is is coming home to roost a little bit. And yes, it's one game and you shouldn't read into that that's going to define their whole season. But I just think their lack of application there was just no fight after the red card they just kind of were happy to roll over um took bruno fernandez off at half time and were just like happy to let spurs score a couple more goals and you know get out of there which i just thought was like it there was just there was no fight there and that for me just it's it looks bad on paper today but to me it's it's similar uh, it signifies a, a deeper rooted problem that they're going to struggle to get away from in the longer term if that makes sense i just don't think the 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 fight is there in that squad and I don't think a couple more expensive you know drop another 150 million on players I don't think that's necessarily going to solve your issue of just a lack of of fight as a whole yeah I, I definitely agree and there are loads of issues on the pitch and obviously off of it on the pitch I was really really surprised at how jaded a lot of those players were while they were losing like Pogba laughing after he conceded a penalty to make it six where he literally just laid in front of a player and was surprised that the player tripped over him um and then all of the amount of times that manchester united players were going in with late challenges going down people players legs with their studs they they got away with a lot of it and honestly it, it really makes me question 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's comments where he said that we didn't see the best from the players today in reference to Lamella and the situation with the red card when his players were doing far dirtier things throughout that match. Certainly not claiming that Tottenham weren't the the instigators early on, but to claim innocence in that match I think is very, very absurd. Um, speaking of him, uh, he shook hands with all of the Tottenham players after the match. Head up, briefly talk to the referees. Are, are those the images that you would want to see as a Manchester United fan after just being beaten 6-1? And, and and do we think that he's still the man to go going forward? Or is this a shock sacked in the morning kind of situation after that 6-1 defeat? I don't think it's a sacked in the morning um, type of defeat. I think question marks have to be asked um, of Solskjaer now. I think he's been getting a bit of a free ride due to the, the problems off the field because they've continued you know, much longer than his tenure as manager. Um, but if your predecessor comes to, to an away game against you and put six partial sides, then you know there's problems there. Um, and questions need to be asked of Solskjaer. I've not been his biggest fan from the outside looking in. I think he was the right, right place at the right time. Obviously, it had crumbled under Mourinho on the pitch. He came in, steadied the ship, and, and they've they boomed and he got the got the job on the back of that. And since then, I just don't see how he's been able to keep his job so long. I think the the pandemic came at a good time for him. I know that, that sounds quite quite harsh, but I think it did because the suspension in play, they were able to regroup, come back. And that, and to be honest, they showed signs after the project restart that they were going to come back in and they had a philosophy of playing. I know there's this counter-attacking way of playing he wants to instill in the team. But when teams like Mourinho come back and, you know, Today it wasn't the case, but let them have more of the ball and sit deep. Mourinho didn't even need to do that today. Then they struggle. Um, I think it's crying out, as you say, as Jim mentioned before, in terms of what's the project and what's the plan. Being a Southampton fan, and of course, Kev, you all know as well, Pochettino has reveled in building teams and building mm. a project. He's available. He's out there. I know the question will be, he hasn't won anything, but what has Solskjaer done? I know he's won titles in in Norway with Mulder but since then I think it's crying out for Pochettino to come in they've got a young squad there Pochettino flourishes with young players um, I think it could be sooner rather than later that, that they make to look the change to be honest Yeah completely agreed with that I, I think they've sunk too much into Solskjaer's kind of not vision because I think that's the wrong word but they've given him too much um, in the last year and a half to sack him now, I think that sets them back another two steps because they get, then again, you bring in another manager who's going to have another vision and they're not going to do that this close to the end of a transfer window because the first thing a new manager will want is is his own players. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen. And also, I mean, he got them into the Champions League last year. They finished third. I think actually if you take his medium-term performance into account, it's not awful. But I still don't believe he's the long-term... I just don't think he's the right influence for the team like you were talking about the is that the imagery you want to see like him shaking hands with the the players and that kind of thing and it's just like he who looks up to that guy as a manager in terms of what he's achieved and says I'm gonna run through a brick wall for this guy or I'm, I, when it's fine when things are good and you're you're happy and you're motivating which I think is the the thing that he rode when he came in to replace Mourinho like he had that I'm not going to like be that kind of manager, which I think really helps that that um, contrast between the two styles, which is absolutely fine. And that's perfect as a caretaker manager. But 
is he the long-term solution over someone like Pochettino, who we know that United wanted twice? And it's just, he must be kicking himself because mm. he must be sitting there thinking, how am I not Manchester United manager now? Because they tried once and it didn't work out. Then they're going for someone else. Then they wanted him and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer did such an incredible job in his first few weeks that they felt like they couldn't get rid of him. Yeah, gave and, him that extension right after the PSG match. Yeah. Exactly. And then it all started going a little bit wrong. And, you know, it's just, again, but that's the lack of joined up thinking. If you're thinking long term and you're saying, yeah, okay, this is a bad optic. If we let Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's a bit of a club legend, cult legend anyway, go after he's come in and and turned this season around. But is he the guy for the next five, six, seven years? Because if he's not, what are you doing appointing him? And uh, I mean, the thing that, that gets that gets me is that it sounds like they're going to push this Jaden Sancho thing all the way to the line. And if they end up collapsing from a negotiating standpoint and just paying what Dortmund wanted, that's the same fee that Dortmund wanted five weeks ago, six weeks ago yeah. at the start of the season. Why did they not sign him then? He could have been in a Man United shirt for the last four league games. Like mm-hmm. what is the point in drawing things out, playing hardball, because you're the one that loses out. To then only pay the full price, like what happened with you and Maguire. And then to pay the full, exactly. And then they're going to pay the full price. He's going to have missed four games. I'm not saying he turns that game from a loss into a draw or a win today. But the point is that he's integrated into the club. He knows the tactics. Like there's an adjustment period. These aren't just plug and play like situations. It's not FIFA, you know, there's an adjustment period where they're going to need to get used to a new system and going, I mean, he, he's got to change country, you know, and his situation, his personal situation is going to change if he moves over from, from Dortmund to United. So it just strikes that to me perfectly encapsulates the problems at United at the moment. You've got this ambition to bring a young superstar back to the Premier League and into the club. And they were clearly involved and Dortmund laid a marker down and said, unless you pay it by the start of the season, He's going to be a Dortmund player. Now they're getting close to caving and paying it all. And it's just like, what were the last four weeks for? Other than for you guys to make yourselves look incredibly stupid. I just I just don't see it. It must be infuriating as a United fan to watch because although you might get your man in the end, you just look back and you think what could have been because this, you know, the start of the season could have been very, very different if they'd got their house in order earlier and got, got their business done without waiting this long and then they'd still ended up paying the full price. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And I think the most fascinating thing that you said there was talking about how much they've already backed Solskjaer so they can't let him yeah. go. But at this no, point, do tough. they feel like that's a sunk cost? And so now they're not really willing to spend more because they're worried that this isn't the thing anymore. But then that's a half they measure. You've given him yeah, enough money to be pseudo successful, but not enough to be actually successful. And if they're actually successful and they finally have this super talented team they're driving for, is Solskjaer good enough to manage them? And I don't think the answer is yes. What you've got to hope is that the money that you've invested in his signing so far gets you back into the Champions League at the end of the mm-hmm. season. That's what you've got to hope. You've got to hope that he's good enough to steer the ship to a top four spot because um, they're not going to win the Champions League. So let's say top four spot and get you back onto that. You know, From a commercial perspective, that's got to be the main aim. And then you've got to reassess it. But again, then you must making a rod for your own back. If he finishes fourth again and he achieves what is what we all know is their main objective for the season, are you going to sack him? No, not unless they are first and then drop to fourth in like a collapse at the end of the season. Because it, So they're just stuck now in this perpetual cycle of back a manager, spend a load of money, manager underachieves, sack manager, start all over again. Yeah. 
and I just it's just it's it's insane to watch from the outside looking in because the money that they've spent and you could say this about Man City as well to be fair like every time they have a bad result they go and spend 15 million on a new defender um but at least they've got some titles to show for it and you know they've got Guardiola as manager so actually they're just they're just adding to that long-term plan at least of a, a consistent manager whereas United are just knee-jerk reaction after knee-jerk reaction and it's just it's insane like I just, I just think I just think that that this whole situation is is just another byproduct of of the chaos off the field and I think when Solskjaer came in and did such a good job replacing Mourinho as a caretaker manager Manchester United were in their best ever position to appoint a manager mm. since Fergie left because they didn't have to give him the job after the PSG game. I know they almost painted themselves into a corner because the result was so good, but they could have waited until the end of the season, see how results develop, see the landscape of a managerial appointment. But again, they were just so quick fire to go, okay, he's done well, give him the job, and then we'll see what happens in, in 18 months' time. And I just think that's not the way you should run one of the biggest clubs in the world. But as you say, they've spent so much money under him they they either got to back him or back him or sack him before they, as you say, potentially spend another 120 million on, on Sancho and and astronomical wages on Edison Cavani. Yeah, and <laughs> we both alluded to the Cavani thing now. It doesn't feel like that helps. Although the one thing it does do is it basically just makes Greenwood a winger the way that they previously made Rashford a winger by bringing in Ibrahimovic and Lukaku in back to back years. So. It's it's uh it's an interesting time for Manchester United and I am glad we got to talk about the Tottenham part of it before we got to it but Manchester United certainly going to be the headline on most papers tomorrow. What's going to be potentially undermentioned just because of how big United are and the mess that they're in are some of the other really surprising results this weekend. Jim, you had your own Leicester losing 3-0 to West Ham which I think will surprise a lot of people. Then obviously the Tottenham result Liverpool, as we are recording, are currently down 4-1 to Aston Villa. Yesterday, City drew with Leeds in what was a highly entertaining match, but I'm not sure I would have been happy after it as Pep was, uh, obviously against his old mentor in Bielsa. But we're just seeing so many interesting results this year. Do either of you feel like you have a good grip of what's going on or why in particular City and Liverpool, who were supposed to just be running away with everything, seem to have really fallen back to the pack? I think it's, I think because of the preseason, I mean, everyone's had the same preseason. I mean, that's not an excuse for anyone to be, to be dropping off. But I think some teams perhaps uh, are slightly adapting to the, to the no fans a little bit better than they were after the restart. I think there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a hangover perhaps. I know there's a bit of a lazy comment. I know Liverpool would be raring to go, but I think the uncertainty off the field um, at the moment for every club in terms of players falling ill, players not being available. I think that's sort of catching up with them. And I think the best teams at the moment, I mean, you look at Everton, they're finding that level of consistency that, that others are sort of struggling for at the moment. And I think some teams are just being caught a little bit cold. Um, I mean, you look at the, the, the Man City result against Leicester. I know Jim will tap into that a bit better than I can. But I mean, that was just such a, not not a freak result, but I mean the way in which City sort of crumbled after starting so well, and then we saw it again against Leeds yesterday. Um, started so well, could have been two three nil up, weren't, and then Leeds grew into the game and and then almost caught City City cold. So I just think everyone's at different stages in terms of fitness, in terms of new players coming in, tactical advancements, who's changing what, and I think the play, the teams that have done so well so far are the teams who 
perhaps came into the season with with a bit more momentum, a bit more of a plan. I touched on Everton earlier, and I think they're probably the team for me who have handled it the best, and and they got their transfer targets in early, um, and they're backing Ancelotti's way of playing, and I think that's just the the way it's going to be for a little while until until things calm down. Yeah, I think it's. I don't think it's one particular factor. I think several things, but things that obviously, as Sam said, teams adapting to playing with no fans, uncertainty, but. I just think it presses the randomizer button so much more in this kind of season because everything is happening with so much else, so much else going on that you are gonna. I think you're gonna get more unpredictable results. Your home advantage isn't as as much anymore either. Um, you know, there's a certain amount of of stock you put in playing at home versus playing away. And you look at a fixture and you think, well, actually, that's a really tough away trip because of the fans that are going to be against you or whatever. And there's a perceived bias that you might not get the odd 50-50 call with the referees um, because of the fact that you've got the the crowd noise and, and things like that. But I just think it, 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 it makes the whole thing a whole lot more unpredictable, but also super exciting as a product to watch because Liverpool and to a degree Man City, if you take the last two seasons, they've been so good. Like they've been streets ahead of everyone else. Last season, Liverpool were just a cut above. And the season before, Man City and Liverpool went, was it like after just after New Year? They basically won every single league game and they just went win for win for win after Liverpool dropped those points in January that essentially cost them the league. But that's insane that points that you drop in January, at the end of January, I think it was start of February, could essentially cost you the league because both teams just win out from then on. Um, and while that's great as a spectacle to watch, I think actually for the competitive nature of the Premier League, you've got a genuine, I'm not saying Everton are title challenges at this point, um, or indeed Aston Villa are going to be up there for a European spot. But I just think it makes the whole thing more unpredictable, which the product as a, a, a viewer of the league um, and a fan of one of the teams, it, it makes it compelling to watch because you don't just tune into a game like the you know the Man City Leicester game last week, for example, and think, well, all right, City are going to just come out on top. Maybe that's a bad example because Leicester have got results out of Man City a few times in the last couple of years. But like the Liverpool Villa game, I guess that we're 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 kind of watching at the moment is a good example. Last season, that's a stick on away win, even though Villa are at home, Liverpool will just wipe the floor with almost everyone, um, and it will just be a case of who drops the fewest points between them and City. Um, this year, it feels like everything else is a little bit more up in the air, and you don't automatically write off teams that are maybe at a lesser stand, standing than their opponents and think, "Well, that's an easy walkover." Again, it's probably a bit early to say that because it's a smallish sample size in terms of the actual season as a whole. But still, I just feel like it's it's so many different things that are contributing. You can see some teams look a bit undercooked. Um, you've also got injuries and things like that, like COVID positive COVID tests will impact you more. So there's probably more to, to bring into that as well. So, yeah, it, I, I don't think it's one particular factor, but I just think it's it's lots of different things culminating in making the whole league more unpredictable, which actually might turn out to be a good thing in the long run. Obviously, it's a horrible situation that we're dealing with, but actually, if it means that you can't just predict ev- almost every single result involving Man City and Liverpool, then you know it might make the league a whole watchable for the however long we're dealing with this situation. Mm. Um, with these struggles that the two of them have had, and we'll just we'll just keep this part short. Do either of you, yes or no, think there will be a different club other than City or Liverpool in the top two come the end of the year? No, no, I still think yeah. it's going to be them, but I think it'll be closer. 
than yeah. it has been the last couple of years. Yeah, so I think we're all saying back back to the pack, but maybe not broken up by anybody else. There are some surprising clubs up there, obviously. Uh, Jim, you've been up there. Everton currently top of the table. Uh, Aston Villa with their impending win against Liverpool are currently in second. At the other end of the table, you have City and United 14th and 16th respectively. You have Burnley, who were challenging for European spots at times last year, all the way down in 18th with zero points. Of those clubs that are in crazy positions because of all the stuff we've just talked about, which which club that feels like they're in the wrong place in the table do you think might actually be in the right one? I think the, the standout one for me is Everton. Um, as you say, as we spoke about today, the, the mess that Manchester United are in, of course, they finished third last season. Uh, Chelsea finished fourth. They quite clearly need a bit more time um, to get the new players better in, and, and Lampard's got a, a big job of doing that. But I'm sure that they'll they'll pick up the pace soon. But I think if you look at, I'll use Leicester as an example from last season. They were in and about the top top four and top five places for for the entirety of the season. Um, and having watched Everton so far, I think they could be another another example of that. I mean, Calvert Lewin is has found such great form under Ancelotti, um, scoring goals for fun. I mean, Hamas Rodriguez fits Ancelotti's system perfectly and seems to be flourishing. And then you got Alan, another summer signing, who who does the dirty work again, a player from from Napoli. So I think Everton will be they won't be in the title conversation. And I don't expect them to be up there, but there's no reason why they can't keep going and, and challenge for the top four or the top five. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think there's we we look at Everton having won the transfer window, or certainly a few people do in the media. It seems like they win every other transfer window that's going on. People always proclaim them as the next pretenders, I think, to to that kind of title or that at least that top four race. Um, but it's good to see them progressing. And again, I think that is going back to what we talked about previously. It's probably the product of a consistent managerial vision and recruitment strategy. Um, coming home to roost. I mean, the fact that they've got James Rodriguez in, who's such a, you know, a, a star player, but also maybe look at, he's got that hunger as well. He's not just enough to take a paycheck, like given that it didn't really work out for him at a couple of European powerhouses in, in Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. He's probably got a, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder as well. He probably wants to um, show the, the footballing world that he's not just the guy who did okay at a World Cup one time. Um, so... Yeah, I think that that's really interesting. Um, obviously, it's super early days with a lot of clubs either playing three or four. Um, Leeds, mm. I think, are a really interesting prospect because it's a little bit... I'm really interested to see whether they can hold up this style of... And then, to be fair, it suggests the, the result against Man City suggests that they can. Um, and their performance against Liverpool was really, really admirable, I thought. Um, I'm really interested to see if they can hold up on the back of their approach because it takes it must take so much out of their players and they've fallen away at the back end of championship um, seasons a couple of times before they finally got over the line. Obviously, whether or not they were aided by a three-month break um, towards the end of that season is is up for debate. But um, it will be interesting to see if they can keep up this pace. Obviously, they don't have European football and actually they play fewer games in the Premier League than the championship. So maybe that's that's it. You know, they're, they're able to sustain it over a 38-game season um, with no European football. Um, I think it wouldn't be a surprise if they were like a sneaky top 10, maybe outside Europa League candidate based on what I've seen so far. Um, it would just be interesting to see if they can maintain it and also if teams will figure out a way to counteract it. 
at the very top level. But I mean, Guardiola didn't seem to have it cracked yesterday. And if he can't do it, given his position and his understanding of what Bielsa tries to do, then I don't know if there are many other managers that would back themselves to to figure it out on a one game or two game um, basis. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they uh, fit in the kind of shape of the, the Premier League as it kind of forms and we get a bit more form in the book. Yeah, definitely great shouts from you. I did think about just talking about Everton again, but I think we've already done it two weeks. We're <laughs> only four into the season, but they, they continue to be really, really incredible. And I, I think Hamas is having the exact same impact that we saw from Bruno Fernandes coming into Manchester United, where not only are you adding a talented player to your squad, but you're adding in a talented, creative player that makes other players more willing to make runs without knowing whether or not they're going to get the ball. It creates better situations for Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who, who really started to turn the corner last year, um, but now had somebody with that level of creative uh, ability to provide him those opportunities. Obviously, Lucas Dina can provide everything uh, he needs from the left. I think Decore was a great signing in central midfield. I know a lot of people were pretty uh, tired of him uh, at the end of his Watford career because it looked like he had basically achieved any, everything he could there and, and really wasn't putting in as much effort as he could. But him and uh, him and Alon there in mid- midfield, and then Hamas, it's 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 a very good team. I mean, an injury to any one of those pieces could really see them dip because it feels like they found like this perfect cohesion right now that if you mess with any part of it, might struggle a little bit. But yeah, they, they look very, very good right now. And also, I did just want to touch on um, Villa, who have now scored a fifth against <laughs> Liverpool and just wanted to mention, just like with Tottenham in the Liverpool match, full credit to Aston Villa and Leeds, who Jim just mentioned, uh, for pulling off the other side of those results. It's very easy to talk about the big clubs and their struggles, but all credit to those other clubs that are managing to get these results. Um, I figure we'll finish up this first section of the show by talking about the transfer window. It ends tomorrow as we record potentially today as you listen, or maybe it's even in the past for you as you listen. But are you guys excited about deadline day anymore? Obviously, Sky tries to make it this big affair. Or are you just wishing that the, the rumor mill could be shut down until about January at this point? I don't think the rumor mill ever really shuts down. As soon as this one closes, all eyes <laughs> seem to be on January. Um, it's been, been a strange window, really, because obviously the, the short amount of time for the end of last season and, and the beginning of this one. Um, for Southampton, we've done uh, what's looking to become good business. It's taken us a little bit of time, but it seems that we've got the players in that, that Ralph wanted. Um, but as you say, I think it's, it's more of a... It's turned into more of a, a big club sort of um, phenomenon, I'd say. The, the, the transfer window is built on uh, mass fees, big players, trading clubs. Um, and this time we haven't really seen a hell of a lot of that. I mean, Manchester United have really dominated it with, as we said, the Sancho deal. Um, and that looks like that might go down to the wire with, with United paying what Dortmund wanted two months ago. Um, but as I said, I don't, I don't see there to be a hell of a lot of activity with the big clubs because they've got in needs necessary. And I think the only big transfer... That, that screams out to me, apart from a potential Sancho deal, would be Thiago to Liverpool. But apart from that, I think because of the short time between the seasons, I think the rumour mill will just will just keep rolling on until until the next window. Yeah, I think it's. I think for me, deadline day hasn't been. It's been relevant for work perspective, but in terms of like a actual excitement perspective, we've. It's been about ten years since you had a good 
deadline day where it was genuinely exciting partly because of the deluge of in the know information that's out there that makes it really difficult to decipher what's actually being put out there for publicity or agents purposes um, versus what's actual interest but also I think particularly this season because of the COVID situation I think it's just depressed the market a whole lot like we might see a big transfer tomorrow if if United get Jaden Sancho over the line but Actually, I think the entire market is a little bit more depressed where the point where you're not going to get as much money sloshed around. Um, Chelsea are single-handedly done their bit this summer to make the Premier League relevant in the transfer situation and trying to buy every player going. Um, but I think particularly since the the um, the start of the new season, I think it just seems a little bit more quiet. Um, clubs are going around and doing their business and it just seems like a whole lot of players are probably happy to to stick with what's going on at the moment rather than risk the uncertainty of a move um, somewhere else. So, yeah, it's not, it, it's never something I've been a massive fan of anyway. I just think it's super hyped up from a media perspective. And I think it, the people who get genuinely excited about it are probably those that don't follow football too closely and like just dip in and out, which is a nice, um, like a nice little view to have where once uh, once every six months you kind of tune in and say, oh, I wonder what's happened. But for those of us that kind of follow it, regularly i'd say it just kind of grinds you down over the course of a few months um so yeah it's it's not for me um on an excitement front but yeah, i'm sure as, as sam says it never stops because that's what a lot of media outlets feed on and that's where their bread and butter is outside of matches um and they'll they'll continue kind of rolling on with the the coverage about linking players to others in in january and then rinse and repeat for the next the next season yeah, that we, we talked in one of the earlier episodes about are people now more excited about the window than about the actual football these days. And I, I did, do think that that's a, a group of people, especially on social media. But personally, yeah, I, I can't wait for it to be over and just see. Although I have to say, it's 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 easy to say from a club that have done incredible business this window to be like, just shut it down. <laughs> no, no, no need for any more excitement on that front. But uh yeah, I, I think uh, I'm just about ready for, for it to be over. But as you both say, it never really quite is, is it? All right, we will take a break here and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. All right, and we are back, Sam. We'll start off with you talking about mm-hmm. Southampton. It wasn't an exciting start to the season. Some some early struggles. It looked like you were going to have a good uh, performance against Tottenham. In fact, you did. You were probably the, the better team in the first half, but then things got away from you, compounding some early season issues. But 
You, you pick up the win today, starting to look a little bit better. Uh, has anything shifted or things just starting to click for you on the pitch? I think I'd I'd say moving to the more of the the fact that things are starting to click more onto the pitch. We finished project restart in, in really good form. Uh, I think we only lost once, and that was to Arsenal at home. Um, and everyone was sort of excited to to get back straight away and and, and continue that. So the first two results are defeat away to Crystal Palace, and then that that result against Spurs were really shocking actually. And I think it was as shocking to to Ralph as it was to, was to the fans. Um, in between the, the the defeats in the league, we played Brentford at home. Um, we lost two 0 and Ralph provided a pretty a pretty damning uh, post match interview where he, he kind of blamed the players in terms of their fitness levels after they come back from from a short break, um, and and he also noted the the, the need for squad depth um, from from the board. Both of those things seem to have now progressed further. Um, the club, of course, announcing today the signing of Ibrahima Diallo from from Brest, um, and uh, and they're hinting at more to come uh, tomorrow on deadline day. So I think things are just taking their their natural time to to move in the right direction with with the state of play with everyone, with the with the pandemic going on in in the background. Um, for us, it provides a great a bit of escapism, but I find that. For clubs, it must be very stressful to to deal with it in terms of getting players in and and how to how to manage that. Um, as you said today, we've recorded back to back wins um, with a two 0 home result against West Brom, uh, a pretty routine win. You know, West Brom weren't weren't particularly good, but we had to step up and 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 make sure we got the job done, which we did. Um, and that was coming back off a, a result away from from home at Burnley, which we all know is a a tough place to go at the best of times. So, yeah. After the two defeats, people were were raising questions, wondering again, will it be another one of those seasons where we're, we're going to be in and around the, the bottom the bottom teams? We're not necessarily going to be scrapping for relegation, but we didn't want to be again just looking over our shoulder as we has been the past few seasons. So, on the basis of today and and last week, it looks like things are starting to move in the right direction. Nice, yeah. And you mentioned there the uh, signing of Diallo, which. Uh... Which was pretty funny to, to hear yeah, in a post-match yeah. press conference that he's just like, yeah, dibs, <laughs> we got him. Um, which I thought was pretty funny. Uh, but also another really good signing in uh, Salisu. Uh, looks like he's injured at the moment. But I haven't particularly been convinced by some of your defensive options in the past. But two consecutive clean sheets for the first time in some time for you as well. I think McCarthy's starting to look better in goal for you. Do, do you think there's a chance of, of really reestablishing your defense as one of the better ones in the Premier League, which probably hasn't happened since uh, the Van Dyke departure? I'd like to think so. Um, I don't think that, that, that it's always going to be a, a fantastic unit in the back. Um, the signing of Walker Peters, which we discussed a few months ago, was was crucial to our, our solid, you know, making that back line a more solid and more of a cohesion, a cohesive unit. Um, but as you say, Salisu is a player now waiting in the wings, but it, it goes to show how quick things can change in football because when he, when he was signed, people were desperate for him to be in the back four. Um, we knew that wasn't going to be possible because of the, his injury and, and the quarantine period and the time it's going to take him to get up to speed. But now, after about to say, back-to-back two, uh, back-to-back clean sheets, Vestergaard has come in and to be honest up until the last two games he, he really looked like a player who could have been on his way out um, 
He didn't look good enough for the league. He looked too slow. But the past two performances, he seems to have sort of come of age, really, in the Southampton shirt. And now, all of a sudden, it looks like we've got some some decent options at the back. You know, Vestergaard, as I just mentioned, there, Bednarek has always been a solid option at the back for us. Um, and Salisu waiting to, waiting to come in. So, oh, and, and Jack Stevens, of course, who, again, stepped up last season and, and provided uh, defensive cover when, when we needed it and provided to be a bit of a catalyst from the back. So, from three, three or four weeks ago where it looked like we were desperately needing players to come in at the back, we now have options. And, and I wouldn't say it's going to be uh, a top Premier League defence, uh, like the days where we had Virgil van Dijk and Jose Fonte as a, as a back pairing, but there's promising signs for sure. Um, the the jury's still out on Vestergaard. I'd like to see him have a further run in the team before Sirizu can come back in. Um, Ralph quite clearly likes a player who can distribute the ball from the back, and Vestergaard has seemed to be able to do that um, today and, and against Burnley. Um, Stevens, likewise, and, and Bednarek seems to be sort of the enforcer at the back, the, the no-nonsense defender. So there's a nice balance there, that's for sure. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see the state of play when when Salisu is is fit and firing and, and ready to play. Yeah, also, just for everyone's Aston Villa versus Liverpool update, <laughs> as that match happens as we record, <laughs> it is now 6-2 to Aston wow. Villa, who currently have the best goal difference in the Premier League at plus eight, uh, because football is... Just that weird right now. <laughs> Jim, we'll come to you now to talk about Leicester. Uh, obviously not the performance you would have wanted yesterday, but a very good start to the season. Vardy mostly picking up where he left off last year with his golden boot. Just wondering what your thoughts are on the direction Leicester are heading this season. We talked in the offseason about how if you had a slow start or hit some early struggles that Roger's seat might be heating up a little bit, but you've had a pretty good one just with this one dip. Just just generally, what direction do you think you're heading? Like top six again? Think if you hit your stride, you could be in the top four chase again? Or is this one of those like seventh, eight years like you had after you uh, lost Conte? Yeah, it's it's tricky because I can predict it now and then we're going to have the Europa League grind that's going to inevitably um, blunt our league form. Um I think Wolves showed that it can be done last season. Um, but in the end, even after a three-month break um, mid-season, it, it still got to them, I think, in the end. so, And we've not got the squad depth to compete at the very, very top level, plus Europa League um, kind of, not title race, I guess, but like I'd like to see us give everything um, for a Europa League uh, push because of how rare it is that we're, we're in Europe historically. So... I think just be competitive around that top six, top eight. Um, I don't think anyone would be upset with like seventh or eighth place if it meant that we'd given the Europa League a good go. Um, I think we've got a, a typically un what's the word unrealistic fan base, especially since we won the title. Um, people aren't quite sure what to make of Leicester. Because like, why can't we win like, the title? Kind of season of exactly that, <laughs> and it's like you. People don't realise quite how rare and how many stars align for that to happen. And so the ambition rate goes through the ceiling. Um, it's funny because if you'd have replaced that title winning season if, with like a place finish where we just scraped into Europe, everything that happened subsequently would have probably been much better received than it has been. But <laughs> yeah. that title win elevates it to such a degree that people really don't know what to make of like a, a, like a mid to top half finish or like eighth or you know even finishing fifth last year um people aren't quite sure what to make of that granted that was in a 
a ridiculous collapse towards the end of the season. So context is key there. But yes, so I think that would be the key this year. It will be about trying to maintain on all fronts. I mean, I'm pretty happy that we've strengthened the squad a little bit. There's only one big outgoing, touch wood. Um, nothing happens tomorrow. We've added some pieces, which is nice. Um, and I think that's the, the board recognising that the squad depth needs to be there. Um, it would just be interesting to see how that shakes up. But I'd be perfectly happy with missing out on Europe if it meant that we gave Europe a, a go within the context of this season, definitely. Mm. Yeah, you talk about that expectation framing. I'm sure you've heard this by now, but Pochettino refers to Leicester as having his title. So if you want to give it to us so that you can have like a more fun time in middling seasons, we'd certainly be receptive to that. You, you've had your chance. <laughs> you, uh, you seem to think well not you personally but a lot of Tottenham fans seem to think it was theirs on a plate after uh, after Arsenal dropped away in that season so yeah, yeah and also was, despite um, us not uh winning it yeah <laughs> um, and never actually being in front it was a weird dynamic of right. people just assuming Leicester would fade away but yeah sorry to bring that up again I appreciate it it's, it's probably yeah well I'm in a pretty good mood after our win today so yeah fair um all right and i just wanted to follow up with a a defensive question to you as well so timothy castagna comes in uh arguably the third best wing back at atalanta last year but still very good nonetheless i I don't want to put him down the other two are just also incredible he can play both the right and the left thus far he's been playing on the right been a very good creative force for you multiple assists but you also have this other guy pretty decent ricardo Pereira. Arguably the second best right back in the Premier League. How do you think you're going to handle the two of them? Do you think Castagna would move over to the left to replace the Chilwell absence? Just how do you imagine your wingback situation developing this year? It's an interesting dilemma to have, really, um, because we went from having no right backs at the start of the season to having two really, really good right backs and wondering how we're going to accommodate them. I don't know enough about Castagna at Atalanta to know how comfortable he is on the left compared to the right. Um, so, Kev, if, you, if you've seen more of him, Less, you've seen him still play pretty on good. the left. Yeah, I mean, I think if that's the case, I think it's an automatic switch over to the left um, and James Justin then drops into the, the backup role, um, which he was, he was basically intended to be still. Um, he's basically been forced into that position through an injury to Pereira, which saw him at right back. Um, and he can play both sides again, but he was bought as a, a left back. Um, so he moved over to left back for the start of this season because we'd signed Castagna and obviously sold Chilwell. Uh, so I think in that case, Castagna on the left would be the go-to. Pereira slots again in on the right. I'm still obsessed with the idea. And you know how much I love um, Ricardo Pereira mm-hmm. and my love affair with him will never die. As um, it should not. I wholeheartedly would love to see him pushed forward into like a Gareth Bale winger attacking midfield type um, situation um, in a similar way to how Bale progressed at Spurs um, and just said, I'm sick of playing fullback now. I'd like to go and score goals, please. Um, Because we know he can score. We know he can cross the ball. So in my view, if the confidence is there in Justin, you keep him at left back, you leave Castagna where he's strongest, at right back and then you potentially deploy uh, Ricardo Pereira as your wildcat like right wing back come attacking midfielder because I always, I know Chelsea Unders signing probably puts pay to that but I think Perez has been rubbish for a very very long time and it just frustrates me that our best attacking outlet 
is behind him in the in the kind of pecking order in the sense of getting forward. Um, so I would like to see Pereira deployed as a winger, just purely for my own enjoyment um, on that front. But yeah, it's a it's an interesting situation. It's a nice problem to have. Um, I just hope that Castagna's switching from right to left doesn't blunt his impact any, because I think he's been. But everyone had a bad day today, but I think Bar today he's been flawless, like exceptional, both in terms of attacking outlet and defensive strength. So, yeah, it's interesting, and you know, it's a nice problem for Brendan Rodgers to have, essentially. Yeah. Also, another uh, Aston Villa Liverpool update. It's seven two <laughs> to Aston Villa. So my assumption that the main talk would be about Manchester United might have been off base. <laughs> uh, apologies <laughs> to those of you uh, skipping to hear from like minute three of this very show. Um, but anyway, just just absurd scenes. Grealish there uh, slotting it past what I can only assume is Adrian in his last ever start for Liverpool. Yeah, um, he's making a good case to never play for them again. Yeah. The Although it is worth noting like three or four of Aston Villa's goals, which is an absurd number to say, have been deflected on the way in. Uh, it's... It's a weird one, uh, to be sure. <laughs> All right, we'll get back on script a little bit and go into player watch. We mentioned at the top of the show, obviously, it's deadline day tomorrow. So I just wanted to get a take from each of you guys on what you think you'll see tomorrow from your club in terms of incomings and outgoings. Obviously, still a week left for the EFL deadline uh, if you want to loan players out to the lower leagues. Yeah, I think from a standard point of view, we might be a bit busier than, than we have done in previous years. Um, of course, today, the announcement of, of Diallo was, was welcoming um, because we've been needing cover in that central midfield position since Hoiberg left for, for Spurs. Um, there's There's been a few noises about a couple of loan deals um, for, for players to come in. I know Loftus-Cheek was a, a player that we've been linked with heavily, but I don't think that will... Um, come to fruition because of his wage demands or, or, or how much Saints are able to pay of them. Um, Sofian Buffal looks to be on his way out as well to, to Andrews in, in in France. So it looks to me that perhaps a, a loan deal of a, of a winger to come in. We've been linked with a, with a couple of names, Reese Nelson from Arsenal on loan um, and, and Theo Walcott from Everton to come in, potentially uh, come back to the club on loan. Um, but I think Saints are... Have, uh, have been quite um, meticulous in, in their time. They missed out on a couple of targets. Weston McKenney went to Juventus um, and, and a couple of midfield options uh, went by as well. But I think a couple of loan deals perhaps, but we weren't going to be overly um, active in the window. I think the, the transfer window, especially even in January, um, not in January, sorry, on deadline day, um, can be really inflated on prices if you're looking to buy a player um, for, for money on on the day so I think Saints have been cautious about that fact and uh, are looking at just a couple of loan deals just to tie us over for, for the remainder of the season and Jim think we're going to see any motion uh, from Leicester I hope not um, <laughs> oh on the defensive side <laughs> yeah I, I don't know I just it's just I, I hope you get to that stage where you kind of hope that nothing changes now happy with my lot and I just hope that nothing changes if that makes sense um but yeah it would be interesting um as I say locally the big talk has been about Madison um today but I think there's a lot to do there and I don't know whether that's just interest because the Sancho deal is going down to the wire but I can't see anything happening now I think we've I think Rogers has said that we've done our business essentially 
um, from an incoming perspective. So I'd be very, very surprised if anything happened. Gotcha. And then for Tottenham, all the talk is trying to get uh, Milan Skriniar through the door. A lot of talk about who the other center back targets are. And honestly, and I said this on Twitter earlier this week, I think it's Skriniar or bust for us. Getting a talent like his for even the 50 million euro that's being reported would be an absolute bargain considering how how good he is and can be. But if we're not willing to pay that, I don't think that means we should dip back into the market. We did let, let Foyth go out on loan, but even as is, having... Alderweireld, Dyer, Sanchez, Tanganga, and Davis in a pinch, five deep if we're only playing two center backs. Feels pretty comfy, uh, to be honest. I don't really see the point of bringing in anybody else. And kind of to Jim's point earlier, and even uh, yours just now, Sam, about buying players on the deadline day, their prices inflated, especially buying English players, because currently Tottenham are one over the homegrown rule. Uh, so we need to sort that out by the by the end of tomorrow. So if we bring in another international center back, it means somebody else also has to go out. Sessegnon going out obviously doesn't help in that regard as he is homegrown. So we're probably going to have to see somebody go out uh, to make anything work, and then arguably two going out if we brought in another international center back. But uh, all eyes will be on that one. I'm not really expecting anything anymore, although Jose in his post-match press conference was asked how the, how the business has been, and he alluded to the fact that he liked all of the attacking signings, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Uh, so we will see um, in that regard. But we'll wrap up here a little bit early. Only 7-2. There's 10 minutes left, so it ends up being 10-2. We're sorry we weren't able to, to bring that to you at home. But guys, if you'd like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, as I said earlier in the show, you can just find me on Twitter at Mr. Sam E. Cox. Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jim Knight Tweets. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. Of course, you can find the show at EPL Roundtable, and you can also see us tweeting from at EPL Index as well. Also, while you're over there, you can check out the Championship Pod, which talks about all the exciting news coming out of the Championship, and also Dave Hendricks' uh, new show, The Two Footed Podcast, all of which are coming out under that EPL Index umbrella of podcasts. So be sure to give them a listen as well. But thanks so much to you guys for coming on today. It was a pleasure talking about all of these crazy results, including the Villa Liverpool one live as we were recording. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.